Hello, and welcome to Outer Spaces, a podcast dedicated to empowering designers and contractors in the outdoor living space. Through this show, I hope to create a powerful resource for you, someone who is trying to grow their company, but might not have all the tools and processes to do so. On Outer Spaces, we're passionate about breaking the chains of small mindsets and helping contractors just like you take control of their businesses and their lives. My name is Joshua Gillow, and through my 25 years of dirt under the nails experience, I look forward to sharing tips, strategies, and other contractor success stories here on the Outer Spaces podcast. Now, let's get on with the show. Hello, and welcome back to the Outer Spaces Podcast. Here's your host, Joshua Gillow. Today, we have Eric Sprague on. He's been on the podcast before, um, and I, I wanted to bring him back on because we were just having a conversation before we hit go here about life and about owning business and eventually selling business and purpose and mission and all of those kinds of things. And I know that it's such an important piece of the entrepreneurial journey. Right. We don't we start businesses because we think and at least the way I started them was I don't want to work for somebody. I want to make all the money. Right. I want to go out. I want to kind of write my own story. I want to I want to do all those things. I'm a, a fierce pioneer, you know, in my heart. And I love to do these things. I'm an entrepreneur to my core. Right. But at the same time, when you start out, you have a different focus. Right. There, there's this concept of survival. Like, OK, I've started this out. I can't fail. I have to. I have to no matter what win and you work your hands to the bone and crazy things you do and you look back and years later and you're like i'm out of my mind for doing those things but today i wanted to unlock eric here and talk a bit more about how he did it because he has a very unique story about what he's done with his business so i'm going to let him tell that story but before we get too far into this eric welcome to the show oh thanks i appreciate it glad to be back absolutely dude i'm, I'm super excited yeah, for our conversation you, you today. Made- you made me think of something when I heard this years ago. It's like entrepreneurs will work 80 to avoid working 40. That's right. It's crazy. Like we're out of our mind. And anybody looking in from the outside does not understand why the hell we're wired this way. Yeah. I'd, I'd way rather work 80 for myself. Exactly. But and I think every listener out there would be like, yeah, me too. But it's yeah. but when you think of it logically, it makes zero sense. You think we'd be like, all right, let's no. just go for the comfortable option, work for somebody else, make a paycheck and done. But then there's something about them owning your destiny, right? Because you can only do so much for them. But at the end of the day, it's not like that. If you're not in a great team environment where everybody's trying to see the best in people and they're just trying to get, you know, trade uh, time for dollars, that's it's just a, yeah. it's a horrible way to live, in my opinion, at least. But the, the other thing is, is for me. The idea of having one person, basically you know, your supervisor, holding yeah. all of my destiny in their hands yeah. does not appeal to me. Whereas no. if I lose a customer, I can always go get another one. Yep. hundred percent. hundred percent. So, uh, so the, the work I'm, I'm completely unemployable. Yeah. <laughs> Same here, dude. I've been ruined for anybody. Oh, <laughs> uh, goodness. So Eric, take us back a little bit. Just give the listeners some context about what you used to do and how life changed and selling and where you sure. are now. Yeah. So uh, my college roommate, Larry, and I started a carpet cleaning and water damage restoration business in <laughs> January 2nd, 2008. Very specific. In the Inland Empire of California, which is like, other than Detroit, the second hardest hit county in the country economically when the downturn happened. Mm. We had no industry experience. We had no connections. We we didn't know anything. Like, it was truly, as Michael Gerber would say, an entrepreneurial seizure. We just Mm. knew that we wanted to start something. We started an air duct cleaning and carpet cleaning business. And it was a rude awakening really quick because people who had already been in business for 10 or 15 years were struggling, let alone guys like us. Mm -hmm. I can remember, you know, we joined the chamber and we'd go door to door and ring doorbells and try to clean carpet. And, and, you know, we just, it was so tough at the beginning. We used to call each other because we used our cell phone as our business line. Mm -hmm. And we'd be like, there must be something wrong. The phones must be down. Nobody's (laughs) calling us. I thought I was the only one that did that. I'd say, say, Larry, you know, let me uh, call me. And he'd call and it would go through. I'd be like, oh, crap. (laughs) Nobody's calling us. So, you know, we did whatever it took those first two years. We figured every minute that we weren't getting, you know, doing actual work that we, the little work that we were getting, we would be marketing. Mm. And what happened though, 
we were taking everything. We were cleaning hair salons as jan- janitors overnight, 365 mm-hmm. days a year, and then going clean carpet or marketing all day. We had a we had one year where I think Larry and I probably slept three hours a night, mm-hmm. both of us every wow. every night. And um, but you know what? Like you said, it's that whole like survival mode. Like we have to make this work. We've we've taken the plunge. We've got to do this. And we were doing trash outs for REOs. I mean, we were doing anything that would bring in a couple dollars. Mm-hmm. But you know, over time, that persistence and that determination started to pay off because a lot of the people who had been in business for a while and the downturn hit, and obviously they had more overhead than us, but we could watch them at like Chamber of Commerce meetings. They were giving up. You could see it in their eyes. They were just like guys who did the same thing we were. They were yeah. starting to falter. Like, this just isn't worth it. And Larry and I looked at each other like, we're going to double down even harder. Mm. And we ate their lunch. You know, we started to grow. And that, and we, we took that mindset through the whole time we had our business. We were, we always viewed ourselves as a sales and marketing company that happened to do cleaning and restoration. Yes. And I think a lot of that mindset came from starting right at the beginning of the Great Recession. We just never let that idea go. I mean, when I used to hire technicians, I'd be like, look, you're still a salesperson here. Like you might just be selling the company to the client like that. We do a great job, but you're Mm -hmm. in sales. Like everybody here is in sales. Anytime we were slow, those guys were out delivering donuts and cookies to our referral sources because we wanted them to see how hard our marketing team worked Mm -hmm. every day. And over time, we got a very good reputation in our area, built up our company at our height. We had about, I think, depending on the season, but somewhere between 30 and 35 employees mm-hmm. most of the year. And uh, and then we sold in 2018. So uh, we had a great run. It was 12, well, no, I guess it was 10 years, 10 years. But I think we did in 10 years what a lot, it takes a lot of companies a lot longer to do. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, but that was just, I mean, I don't, I didn't, I never counted hours, Josh, but I would say that Larry and I each never worked fewer than 80. Yeah. Ever. That's crazy. You know, I love something that you said in there and I preach this all the time, this concept of that your company is a marketing company first, you know, out there listening, if you're a landscaper or a contractor, a deck builder or whatever, fill in the blank, that you are not a, a, a landscaper that markets. You are a marketing company that landscapes and you realize that early, especially when, I mean, there were so many amazing companies born right after the great recession and or in it. Right. Some of the big names that, you know, were born in those times. Most big businesses that hold are the ones that are born in the hard times, not the ones that are born in the easy times. Right. Especially in contracting the last two or three years with COVID, the fact that as long as you had a heartbeat and you could swing a hammer, you had work. That's changing. Right. That is changing oh, quickly. Oh, first quarter 2023. I think it's the reality checks going to start setting it in is. for a lot of guys. It is. And if you nervous. were if you were born, if you bought your business was born during the great times, then you're going to see pain because you've never seen it before. You know, I've been through 0708. You know, I, I know exactly what that feels like. Right. So I know how yeah. rough it can get. And so now it's a matter of saying, OK, that's the case. What can we learn from that? Right. So tell us a little bit more now about well, after you sold your business, what did you do? Yeah. So, well, so I kind of took a year off, but not entirely. Okay. Okay. So I I took one consulting client in my industry and I worked there either remotely or I would go, it wasn't that far away from my house. I would go a couple days a week and then the rest of the time I had off. And, um, and basically we built our business, not only on just sales and marketing, but on culture. Mm -hmm. We, we looked at, we looked at our industry and I tried to be logical about it. I'm like, wait a minute. Everybody's driving the same vans. Everybody's buying the same equipment to dry houses out with. Everybody kind of gets the uniforms at the same place. Like everything's the same. So the the non-common denominator is how well can I train my team to do the work and to more importantly, engage the client into having a five-star service experience. And how well can I build my culture so that they will bring A players to our company, right? So, because we're in greater Los Angeles, you know, I know everybody talks about 
labor issues and hiring issues that that existed the entire time we were in business. Mm -hmm. Like a lot of what people in the rest of the country have been really faced in the last three years, we had 15 years ago. It's just a tough market. There's a lot of companies, a lot of choice. And we knew all along, like our team can go across the street and get a job in five minutes. Yeah. And that was the entire time we were in business. Maybe not 2008, nine, but after that, you know, so our thing was like, we have to build a, a, a business where people want to work and they want to feel like they're part of it and they feel like there's something and they feel like they're invested in. So we put a lot of time and energy into that. So when I, when we sold and that was a key ingredient for us to be able to sell was to have that team. Yeah. Then I started working with a company who had a terrible culture and the owner thought he wanted to fix it, but he didn't really want to fix it. Yeah. He, he thought he could just pay me some money and it would miraculously be fixed. And as you know, building a culture and getting buy-in and all that is yeah. not that it's not that. Yeah. Right. Yeah. So, you know, I, we, one of our biggest things that we did in our company was we had a daily huddle where everybody would get together and we would do like a quick production meeting. But then every day we would do a lesson of some sort, personal development, how to sell, how to market, how to behave on the job site, how to engage the client, you know, just all kinds of different stuff. And our team loved that. You know, once they got used to it, they, mm -hmm. they liked it because they could use it outside of work too. Yeah. So I talked to this, there's a, there's a point to all this. So I talked to this consulting client into having the days that I would be there, let's have a morning meeting. I'll run it. So I started running a morning meeting. They're, they're quick. They're like 10 minutes. They're, they're not long. And all of a sudden you see engagement going up. People are getting into it. You know, the same things that we saw at our company. Mm -hmm. And he didn't like it because now that wasn't happening on the days that he wasn't there because he was unwilling to do the work. Oh, wow. Okay. Right. So all of a sudden, you know, all the, all the, People that work there are coming to the consultant and saying, hey, you know, what should I do here? <laughs> what should I do there? And I'm like, oh, boy. Yeah. But it it got me to realize, like, if it worked for my company and then I take it to a completely different state and a completely different company with a very poor culture and I'm seeing it work, this works. Having a daily morning huddle works yeah. and, and training people and investing in their lives beyond just work works and and you know soft skills equal hard cash like the better they are with the clients yes. the more money you're going to make because you're going to get repeats and referrals and all the other stuff so i remember i was at a job one day because i would kind of go out and see these bigger jobs and i'm watching them like whistle while they work and they're doing great and when i first got there there was none of that and i called larry up and i said hey i got an idea for a business and he was just like, we just sold a business like six months ago, you know? And I said, yeah, but that was six months ago you know, or whatever. I want my Might 80 hours a week been, back. Yeah. It might've been like three months, you know, whatever. Yeah. And uh, I said, look, you know, let me shoot some videos of the same lessons that we used to do in our business. Five minutes a, a whack. And... I'm going to send them to some of our friends who are plumbers and HVAC contractors and carpet cleaners and all this thing. And I just want to get some feedback. And here's why. Because I'm seeing what we were doing working at this place. And Larry was aware of this place and their culture and all that. And he was like, really? Okay. Yeah, sure. So I started sending some, I just did some raw videos in my garage. I mean, they mm -hmm. were nothing. And I sent them to a few friends and said, hey, can you uh, play these in front of your guys, you know, a few times and see what the feedback is? And I didn't really think a lot about it after that because I was taking days off and just skiing and biking and doing the things that retired people are supposed to do. Mm -hmm. And um, all of a sudden I got a, a phone call from one of the guys. He's like, well, where's the rest of them? I'm like, what do you mean? Where's the rest of them? He goes, well, yeah, you sent me like a half a dozen videos I, I need daily. Where are they? <laughs> and I went, boom, light bulb moment. All right. Yeah. So that was the beginning of what originally was called morningtechmeeting.com. Hmm. So I think the first time I was on the show, it was still that name. Yes, it was. Yeah. 
And uh, we'd started again. We started another business right before a major catastrophe, right? <laughs> so we started literally right before COVID. Nice. And uh, and we had a whole bunch of trade shows lined up because we figured, you know, this is kind of new. It's obscure. We need to shake hands and meet people and and sell and market like we've always done, right? Yeah. And as you know, the whole world shut down, and all our trade shows were gone in like a week. Poof, gone, gone, right? We're just First sitting there going, holy yeah. crap. What? Yeah. yeah, well, I mean, all the trade shows were all over the country, but yeah, yeah, you know, yeah. it didn't matter back then. So Larry and I said, we'd already kind of started podcasting a little bit. Like, you know, we had some episodes under our belt, like, you know, a dozen. And we were like, what are we going to do? And I was like, let's podcast every day as a service to people who are all stuck at home wondering what the hell do I do, right? And I started reaching out to all these service industry influencers who probably would never have come on our show had COVID not hit because they're freaking out going, what am I going to do? Because this was like like third week of March. Mm -hmm. Everybody's just freaked out. So all of a sudden I got, you know, these listeners, these people may not mean anything to your group, but Tommy Mello, A1 Garage, he's like a, $150, $200 million garage door company owner. The guy's a force of nature. He Mm. agrees to come on. Ellen Rohr, who's like the queen of plumbing, she comes on. Like Tom Ziegler from the Ziegler Corporation, he comes. Like all of a sudden, we're getting all these guests. Wow. And next thing you know, we're getting a lot of listens on our podcast. Mm. So for that whole first year, we just podcasted. I mean, yeah, we were putting stuff out there like on social media about you know, our product, but we weren't getting any traction whatsoever. It felt so much like when we started our restoration Mm -hmm. business, we're just like working like crazy in obscurity. And uh, all of a sudden, you know, Mr. Retired is working 60 hours a week trying to make something happen, you know? And, and then as the trade shows, and I guess it would have been spring 2021 started to open up, we started hitting trade shows but we weren't having any luck there either, Josh, because people would walk up and be like, hey, what do you guys do? And we'd say, oh, we're morning tech meeting. And as soon as meeting would flow off our tongue, yeah, they would literally spin on their heels and walk away. Mm, sounds like work, right? We, we had a branding, <laughs> like meetings. We had a, we had a branding problem, right? Yeah, for sure. Yeah. So Larry and I suffered through that first year, the first round of trade shows with not a lot of success, honestly. Yeah. I mean, yeah, we were getting some clients, people who were forward thinking, going, yeah, this this would be good for my company. And then um, we went to a business planning retreat that we go to every year. And we just sat there and one day you know, we were just like, we've got to change our name. And we've got to change our brand. And we've got to change all these things because we know the product is good. The clients that we do have love it. So it's just, it's a branding issue. So we changed everything in... January of last year. So January of last year, we changed to Super Tech University. We now have these bright orange shirts and hats that we wear at trade shows. And we 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 really doubled down. I think Larry and I did 25 to 30 trade shows or conferences wow. last year. I mean, we were on the road mm-hmm. and we tripled our business in one Sweet. year. So, no, granted, we we're yeah. kind of at a starting point, but mm-hmm. it was a way better reception. So then this year, we are hitting the road again, maybe not quite as much as last year. Last year mm-hmm. was a drain. But we have since we're in the pro- – it will come out in January. We had only the technician training, which was five days a week. And they're videos. They're five minutes a day. We're just dripping information on them. Yep. But now we have weekly videos for business development reps – who go knock on doors like Larry and I did for all those years mm-hmm. um, because way too many of those people don't really know what they're doing. They just become like glorified candy droppers. Mm-hmm. They don't know how to get a, a discovery meeting with a manager. They don't know to ask for a business. Like it's shocking how few business development people really have game. Right. Mm-hmm. So we have business development rep training. CSR receptionist training depends on the industry, what you call them. Um, my wife was our lead CSR for many years. And then she went to work for a national company that trained CSRs as a coach. Mm-hmm. And then she has left them a couple of years ago. And now she's doing those videos because I don't know what the statistic is. It's like 98% of 
CSRs or receptionists are female. Mm-hmm. So, like, for me to go shoot a v- video on how to answer the phone would be the most disingenuous thing ever because, yeah. like, they didn't even let me answer the phone at my company because they were afraid I'd be, like, rude to somebody or something. <laughs> you you know? really would. <laughs> yeah, I know. little intense when the complaining starts. Yeah. And uh, so, she's, <laughs> she shoots those. And then we have estimator. You know, and when we use the term estimator, that really means, like, like in HVAC, they'd call it a comfort advisor, the person who goes to the house and sells. And uh, in our industry, we call it first responder, the person's there. But, you know, you got a phone call, somebody's going to go to a house, now you have to close that deal. So, it's kind of technical sales in a lot of ways, right? So, we have videos for that. And then we have service manager training because most service managers are just really good techs and they throw you into a service manager role and say, you're in charge now without any training to know what that even means. Yeah. So, um, we're trying to, it's like a chain business development goes and tries to get the phone to ring phone rings. You've got to you know, convert that into a, a call estimator sells the call techs do the work and the service manager makes sure the customer is happy and the work gets done. Right. So right. we're trying to create like this, this chain of events so that it will go smooth for everybody's company. I love it. I love it. And they're all, it's all video training. Got it. It's it's and they're short on purpose. Now, what is there a specific industries that you're focused on? Like if you're in the outdoor living landscaping world or contracting in terms of these things even make sense or is this something only for do, carpet I think people? they do. We actually have a fair amount of landscape and pest control companies who use our product now with the technicians and, mm-hmm. and window cleaners. Because look, you're still interacting with clients. Exactly. You still, I mean, whether you think you're not or you are, you know. Yep. And so our main industries are restoration because that's where we come from, mm-hmm. plumbing, heating, and electrical. Those are those are the four verticals that we do the most. Now the next would be exterior house cleaning and carpet cleaners. Yeah. And then we have a smattering of pest control. We even have auto body shops using us, which is yeah. so weird to me because they're not going to the customer's house and ringing the doorbell. But we had a friend who had owned an auto body shop. He started using it. And he's like, look, the only difference is, is that they come to us versus you know, all the lessons apply. Yeah. And then next thing you know, he's telling a friend and he's telling a friend and he's telling a friend. Now, all of a sudden, we got all kinds of auto body shops. <laughs> So you're basically so weird. you're taking over that that uh, that water cooler meeting in the morning, uh, if I have this correct, yeah. right? So basically five mm-hmm. ten minutes, whatever. They play a video, your team watches it, everybody learns a little something, and they go on their day. It's this concept of you know two millimeter growth every day when it comes to the customer service or how you're going to manage yep. people or or how to better handle people. So is that like is that what you're yep. working on? Yeah, yeah, it is. It's it's yep. micro learning, I guess. I mean, I don't yeah. know what else. I don't have a name for it, but. Yep. What we learned was if we dripped a little bit of information on our team every day, they would implement. If we tried to hit them with like one big weekly hour long meeting, everybody would pay attention for five minutes and then be off in, you know, space going, I wish Eric would shut up and just so I can go out and do my job. So we try to make the videos just these little drips every single day. And the thing is, is that most owners either aren't wired for or don't want to take the time to do the training themselves. So it's easier to just have somebody like me on a video, put it up on a screen and and do it. So number one, the owner doesn't have to, you know, come up with a lesson plan every day. I mean, for the technicians, I'm, I, I have more than 850 lessons mm. already. Yeah. You know how long that takes? <laughs> yeah. I can <laughs> you imagine. Know? And, um, and the other thing that we hear, we didn't really understand this when we started, we get a lot of feedback from clients that say, I say the same things to them, but they don't listen because they know me. They know my bad habits. I'm with them every day. And then you say it and they're like, hey, we need to do this. And the owner's like, I've been saying that for 10 freaking years, you know, and but (laughs) somebody else, the other guy says it. it, Oh, that's a great idea. And, you know, um, familiarity breeds contempt, right? So sure to, I have a guy that says, you know, Eric, I'm like their father, but you're like their uncle. 
He's the fun uncle. uncle the uncle says right? it. <laughs> yeah. yeah. If the uncle says it, it's a good idea. If I say it, it's in, it's stupid. Yeah, yeah <laughs> so, for sure. So that's what we've doing. Can you give us a little sense of what one of those lessons might sound like or what, you know, some kind of context around what that might look like? Yeah, sure. Like, so well, I'll give you kind of a, like, we do one called Chuck in a Truck versus Paul the Pro. Right. So we're doing a compare and contrast, a technician who's doing all the right things versus somebody who's doing all the wrong things. Right. So I would stand up. We shoot these on a blackboard. Got it. So the reason it was a blackboard is I'm, I'm kind of a whiteboard guy, but all the lights reflect off the whiteboard. Mm, so okay. we started with the blackboard and it kind of goes with the school theme and it, and it kind of works for us. So, you know, I'd say, OK, you know, we've got Chuck in a truck and Paul the pro. So let's take Chuck, you know. Chuck gets off of work and Chuck heads straight to the bar and Chuck's going to drink 15 beers tonight. Right. Mm-hmm. And he's going to get in at, you know, 3 a.m. Totally hammered. Now, Paul, Paul left work at the same time Chuck did, but Paul went straight to the gym and he worked out for an hour. And then he went home and he ate dinner with his family and his kids and they watched a little TV and Paul, you know, went to bed at 10 o'clock because he wants to be ready for the next day. So when the next day rolls around, Chuck wakes up 15 minutes before he's supposed to be at work and he's hung over and he doesn't shave and he doesn't get his food and his water ready. He picks up yesterday's clothes off the floor and he rushes to work completely unprepared with maybe a monster and a pack of Marlboro Reds. Right. <laughs> on the other hand, on the other hand, Paul is going to get up at 6 a.m. He's going to take a shower He's going to take his nice, neat clothes, put them on. He's going to eat breakfast. He's going to pack his lunchbox. He's going to have a gallon of water for the day. And he's going to get to work 15 minutes early. Right. And then we just go on from there and walk through the whole day. And then what the ramifications of every one of Chuck versus Paul's decision making process would look like. And the reason we like that, that's what like our most popular one because a lot of guys will literally go and say, you know what? I'm too much like Chuck and not enough like Paul and I need to change. Yeah. They recognize it in themselves. Yeah. In the story for sure. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, not everyone is a long story like Chuck and Paul, but you know, we do all kinds of things like, you know, um, how to behave at the front door, you know, how far to stand away, how to look a client in the eye, how to use voice inflection when you're talking to them. What to do if you see their newspaper on the driveway as you walk up, where to park, how to walk up a stairs if you're a male technician behind a female client. I mean, just all kinds of stuff like that. We interrupt this podcast for a special sales nugget presentation. Today is all about expectations. When you set expectation A with your client, but you deliver result B with your client, your client has a high probability of not being happy. Their expectation was not met. So when you're expecting to lay out at something and want a great process for you and for your client and to make it as seamless and as beautiful and as uh, you know five-star worthy as possible, make sure you're setting the right expectations on day one and following through. If you're going to do expectation A and that's what you've talked about, you've delivered expectation A plus a little bit. They can't be anything but happy. That's really the cool part about it. It's about setting those expectations. It's when you come in under the expectation of the client that you're going to find you're going to end up with the biggest problems or they're not going to want to pay or they're going to want you to rip stuff out and redo things. It's very important to set expectations. And the way you do that is by very being very clear in your conversation, walking them through certain processes by hand if need be, so that they know exactly what the outcome will be. Oftentimes we use words to paint pictures, right? We see a picture in our heads, we use words to convey that picture to someone else's head, and they don't always get the same image that we had, the one we were trying to transfer through words. So we have to be very clear. That's why design is so important because it shows a picture that we both agree when they love the design. They both agree that that is the best solution, the best path forward. 
So make sure that your words aren't being lost between those two pictures, your picture and their picture. Make sure that that is a nice, beautiful continuum and that they're seeing what you're talking about and make sure that you're getting that along with your uh, sales process so that you can deliver the very best results. Because if you keep your expectation A and you deliver expectation A plus, you're always going to have happy clients and have very few times where you're going to go back and fix things. So use that from now on and it's going to help you a ton more in your process and keeping happy clients who keep telling everyone about how amazing you are. Those details, those soft skills you're talking about. I remember you you had mentioned one, I believe it was last podcast, or maybe it was even in your, uh, somewhere I saw you on social media, this concept of when you get to a house that you use the, dry, the, the walkway to the front door. You don't cut across the middle of the yard, right? You walk up the, walk, the driveway, cross the walkway, totally. and enter to the front of the house because that's what it's intended for. When you cut across the middle, it shows that you're lazy, right? And I used to do that. So I'm like, now every time I go to a house, I think of you and I'm like, it's the front walkway. <laughs> so, <laughs> well, not only that, you know better than anybody. People put a lot of money into their lawn. Oh yeah, it's 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 for looking at, not for walking on. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> you know. Yeah. And uh, I, I, where that all came from, I we did a job in restoration work. You know, you're going in and out of the house constantly, taking like bags of wet drywall and insulation. And I showed up on a job, really nice house, a couple million bucks, manicured everything. And my guys had walked across the front lawn out to the dump trailer like a hundred times, man. Mm. And there was just a cow path from the front door straight to the dump trailer. And I remember the the couple that owned the house walked me straight out to the lawn and said, you're putting in a new front lawn. Oh, wow. Huh. I was like, yep, I am. <laughs> you know? Wow. And, and uh I don't blame them because if that was my house, I would have said the same thing. Yeah. Now, luckily I had a friend who was a great landscaper and he was able to save the lawn and make it look good again and all that. So we didn't have to put in the front lawn, but you know, we would have, Yeah. we would have had to, and it would have cost a lot of money. And it was a great lesson for us to really think deeply about the value of everything at a home or at a business, you know, and that's like, I do those lessons in the video as well. Like, do you actually know the value of the things that you're encountering every day as you're in a house? You know, like if you have your grubby hands and you lean on the paint on the wall, how much is it going to cost to repaint that room? Yeah. You know, yeah. how much is it going to cost if you scratch the wood floor because you don't put ram board down? Like just stuff like that. Like it's just daily stuff, Josh. Yeah, yeah, That's what yeah. we we do. And reminders, because you know, oftentimes this is common sense stuff you're talking about. But when you're busy, focused on hitting certain goals and timeframes and all that, some of that stuff goes out. But when you actually have the opportunity to hear it again, and you're like, yeah, I know that. And then in the middle of the day, you're like, oh, got to put down that uh, that protective layer first before we go across that that hardwood floor. You know, and it's like. Yeah because I was reminded of it. So I can see the value in just constantly reiterating. Plus the owner doesn't have to sit there and think about what am I going to talk about today? It's like, all right, let's turn on Eric and Larry and they're going to tell us some new stuff today. Right. Yeah. And just roll that way. Well, and for the client's perspective, you know, I mean, we all know this, there's companies that don't care about any of this stuff and they base their business on transactions. Like how many transactions can I churn? They're not particularly worried if they're going to get a repeat customer or even a lifetime customer. We always looked at it differently. It's cheaper for us to market to our own carpet, our own client base. They're already warm or hot leads. I'd rather spend the extra time, energy, and effort to create a customer for life because, in the long run, that's going to lower my marketing budget, yep. and I'm going to have more work and, and for less effort. Hundred percent, dude. That's hundred percent. It's so much easier yeah. to do that because if they already like you, then you know, the, the threshold for them to say yes is very small. It's when you got to go out and constantly keep grabbing cold leads and turning them into warm. That's where the lift is. That's where the heaviness is. Convincing them yeah. that you're not a crook, right? So right. if they're well, like, you know, you, that's another thing. Like we do sales training too, mm -hmm. and you know, our carpet cleaning. Carpet cleaning is a very um, competitive market, especially in California. So you know, we we were always going for a higher end market. So our whole thing was like. We want to do every single thing we can to make them feel that we're the like just top notch company, right? Mm -hmm. So then I, I would train my team to sell in options 
right? So we have a budget option, we have a premium option, and we'll have two or three options in between. So I'm hitting all price points. So it takes the negotiating away. So like, they're not going to say, well, I need to talk to my husband or I need to, uh, you know, get another bid. You know, it'd be like, all right, Mr. and Mrs. Jones, do you agree that our company has all these five-star reviews that you feel good about how we look and, you know, the insurances and all, like, do you feel good about our company? Yes, I do. Okay. So I've given you a budget price, a premium price and three prices in between. So no matter who you call, I'm going to be in the same realm with one of my five options. And they go, okay, yeah. And then, you know, you'd say, okay, so what should we do? Yeah, you know, yeah, it's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. like I've already proven to you that we're quality company with my actions and how I look and how I speak. I've given you every price point for this carpet cleaning job. So there's, there's no looking at anybody else. It's just, which one do you, which one can you afford or which one do you want? Exactly. And, and that makes your technicians feel good too, mm, because sure. they feel more confident going in to sell like that. And basically sales is just educating. It is. And if you're taking the objections out of the mix by giving them multiple price tiers, that allows them exactly. to make their own decisions. So the first thing we be like, oh, I got to look at this for somebody else. But when they're looking at it being like, dude, we're not going to get it better anywhere else. This guy seems awesome. He's got great reviews. Like, why wouldn't we just do this right now? Uh, that warm yeah. lead turns into a hot lead and off you go. So that's, yeah. that's definitely smart taking those objections out of the way and figuring out which objections and, and make them And they don't feel like you're selling them. Exactly. Yeah. You're just, you're saying, Hey, we have an opportunity here. If you want to take it, that's fine. If you don't, that's fine too. We're here to help. Yeah. 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 So cool. look, we just took all the stuff that we learned over the hard way over a decade and condensed it into five minute videos every day. It's really that's what it is. I love it. And how many people's lives you're, you know, business owners and people's lives you're impacting is huge. So that's really what I want to get into next year. I know when, before we hit play, we were talking a bit about the mindset around when you're running your first business for the first 10 years, you know, as, as the actual, uh, you know, cleaner carpets, all that running 35 employees, all that stuff. Then you took that year quote unquote off and then you started this. So how did your mission, like what was your original mission in the other business then during your year that you took off? And then now the new mission, like how has it changed? Well, my mission in the first business changed over time too. And I think a lot of people, my first, my initial mission was just, I don't want to work for anybody else. And I want to make a pile of money. Yeah. Like that's all I cared about. Yep. And to be honest, that mindset held us back for the first several years because I viewed every employee like a chess piece. And it was just like, you know, I get work, you do work. I pay you on Friday. What else is there? And I think a lot of companies run that way. And, and I started to recognize like, hey, we're losing way too many people. Like people are just quitting here. It's, this is not a fun place to work, yeah, <laughs> you know, because yeah. I was just so driven to, I guess, feed my own ego and my own pockets, you know, and I don't, and I think a lot of younger entrepreneurs who just started out probably feel that way more because yeah. yeah. there's more pressure to, to do that. And, and you don't understand yet. It goes way deeper than that. Right. So. As we started to get more comfortable and I started to feel more comfortable, I started investing a lot of time and energy into getting trained. I went and got John Maxwell certified and, you know, like started getting some actual leadership skills, yeah. <laughs> you know, yeah. and, and I read a book, The Dream Manager, and that, that changed my whole life. But Matthew Kelly is the author of that book. And, you know, basically it was to become a servant leader, right? That if I serve all of the team, then they will buy by default, serve me back. Mm. And that was the turning point for both Larry and I. And I pretty much got out of the operational role and put all of my time, energy, and effort into how can I serve our people the best way? And that might wow. just be training. That could even just be helping them unload their truck at the end of the day, you know, like whatever, right? Yeah. And so I guess like I view Shamrock, our, our cleaning in restoration company in like two phases, like the first phase, my mindset was just all about me and Larry. Yeah. And then the second phase we had learned through hard knocks that it needed to be all about the team. Yep. And then we sold and, you know, I had that one client and, but that wasn't taking a lot of my time. And so I had like, like way too much time on my hands for a guy like me. And <laughs> I was, uh, 
you know, I was biking and skiing and you know, trying yeah. to get in shape because I pretty neglected myself over that decade, you know, physically and mentally. And um, but man, I'm not I'm not wired to sit around. I'm not wired to do nothing. Um, I don't like it. It's not healthy for me. It's not healthy for my friends and family around me either. And um, by the time I had called Larry and said, hey, I have this idea. So what was that? Like maybe six months in. I was like already ready to go full bore. Like I'm just like <laughs> charged up so <laughs> bored. Yeah. Um, you know, Larry's more chill than me in every way. <laughs> I envy. A, I, a I lot. love your I love your dynamic, you guys. You guys are funny than hell. Yeah. He uh he he took a little longer to to come around to like really grinding on this. Like he was kind of like, yeah, I don't know if I want to, you know, really grind again. And, uh, but you know, as we made some progress and started podcasting and stuff, you could see Larry's energy rising too, mm, you know, yeah. like, ah, oh, yeah, let's do this again. And, um, look, if I'm honest, I, I probably would tell you that I, I probably should work a little less than I do now, but the reason I work so hard now is completely different than the first time around. And I think this is what you were getting at. Yeah. I feel sense of, such a sense of purpose. And I hope if I do, if we do everything right, legacy, right? Like the first business, there's no legacy. There is legacy because we, we had at least six to eight entrepreneurs come out of our ranks after yeah. we sold. So there's some legacy there. And I feel really good about that. But, um, Helping other businesses get past their their problems, like we had coaches that helped us, and we're for, we feel forever indebted to them. And I hope that when it's time for me to be on the other side of the dirt, there are people around that say, like, "Hey, Eric, really, really helped me in my business because I'm doing a lot of one-on-one -on -one coaching for yeah. mainly restoration and cleaning businesses, right? Our industry." Um. And to see, like, I have an example of, I have a, I have a client, I've had them, they came on early in COVID. So we've been doing a couple of years and they had been kind of stuck, Josh, at like, I don't know, five, $600,000 for like a really long time. Yeah. And, you know, look, super smart people, but just in their own way, like didn't know what they didn't know, you know, just not super hardworking and they're on they're on course this year for just a little over two million. Oh no shit! Sweet. Yeah, what was the and, you know all, what did what change? We worked on their mindset. Wow. And then we took a lot of the same exact strategies that I put used at Shamrock over the years that I learned the freaking hard way, mm -hmm. and we've been putting them in play. And I really think that in the next three to five years they could be a five million dollar business, wow. no problem. Do you mind and sharing they, some of those, some of those little seeds or those little things that you helped them with in the mindset, like what they were struggling with and how you kind of got through it? Well, the, the first thing was they were a husband and wife team. Mm. So they had a lot of emotional baggage, just, you know, yep. the, the merit, the marriage and the business were intertwined so heavily yep. that, you know, they would, and Larry, look, you know, Larry's my college roommate. I mean, he's, he's my work life partner, right? <laughs> in a lot of ways. <laughs> and I would see a lot of the same things. So like what happens in a business partnership, especially a close one like that is when it comes to making a big decision, this is what I would always see. They would like go back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, like over and over and over trying to compromise, right? So by the time the decision was made, they had lost so much time hashing it out and compromised so much that neither person was getting anywhere near what their original choice would have been, where it's like, it would have been better if they just flipped a coin right off the bat because both of the non-watered down ideas were much closer to a good one. Yeah. Then by the time they had compromised for three weeks and, and what happens, think about all the decisions you have to make in a business. And what if everyone takes one week, two weeks, three weeks to actually get consensus and agree to do something that's a watered down version done. of, yeah, you get nothing done. So yeah. there is a lot of that. So, um, 
I kind of made it so that I was the mediator for that. It's like, okay, bring me the two ideas. I'm going to tell you which one's the good one. <laughs> you know, I mean, <laughs> like I'm going to try here. to, yeah, we've got, you know, like we can do this or we can just do this right now. Yeah. <laughs> you yeah, know? Exactly. And uh, so I think, and then as they would see me doing that, they would just start doing it themselves. Yeah. Right. They, they, they would see me just make a quick decision, which is hard. You're making a quick decision with somebody else's livelihood. Mm-hmm. But, when you're not in the emotion of it, that usually the answer is very clear. Yeah. Right. But when you're stuck in the mire of feelings and fear, it's harder. Right. So we did that. We put an org chart because they were like, like they were in every box in the org chart, both of them. <laughs> yeah. I can imagine. Right? Yeah. So like, you know, I, I, I was like, look, we're going to make an org chart and we're going to stick to roles. And we're going to have a job description for each one of these things. And then, you know, your role is this and your role is that. And you cannot make decisions for your partner in their box. Right. So we did. That was, I think, probably the best thing. And then we, to be honest, we started hiring better people. Like they had people that just were not going to get them to anywhere near where they wanted to go. So we slowly over time figured out who was good and who wasn't and, and started replacing them with, you know, just better ads to find people, better interviewing process, better onboarding process, better training. And, uh, you know, it doesn't take a lot of those types of moves to all of a sudden start moving the needle. Yeah, that's right. Especially you the know, decision like, side. I mean, Eric, the decision side is huge. And I used to be a huge procrastinator because I was so afraid that I wouldn't make the perfect decision or have the perfect answer for everything. So I would sit there and chew on it for weeks. I had sticky notes all over my desk of things I had to think about. And I just, oh, one day maybe it'll hit me, right? Or or maybe I'll make a perfect decision tomorrow. And the problem is that all those things kept backing up and it slowed growth because I was afraid. I was, I was petrified yeah. of making a decision that was wrong because if I failed, then yeah. I was a failure in my mind, right? So the problem right. is in business, you're going to learn really quick in life too, is you're going to probably screw half the things you do up. That's just what it is. But the other half is what pulls yeah. you forward. So make a decision now that feels right in your gut, given the current situation, your current knowledge, make that decision now. And you know what? If you're wrong, adjust. At least right. the decision's yeah. made, your desk is clear, and you can move forward. But when you sit there and think about, oh, I got to make the perfect decision, because perfection is is an illusion. We all think that, that we're just going to all of a sudden, we're going to make the perfect decisions all the time. And business leaders, the people you know and respect, they don't have all the answers. They have teams that have a lot more answers, but a decision needs to be made. And that's what leaders do. They make decisions or they em- empower teams to make decisions. But if you're empowering teams to make decisions, you got to make sure that you realize that they're going to make the wrong decisions too. And are you going to penalize them or have them learn from it? Well, we had a lot of those, we had a lot of conversations about that because one of the spouses, Josh was a lot like you. Right. And the other one was more wired like me. And um, so what I used is something Larry and I used for years. We used the disc person, the disc personality profile model of human behavior, whatever they call it. And uh, I started training disc with these two people. I train it with every, every person that's a coaching client for me. We do disc together because you have to become self-aware to recognize the things that you do well in your business and the things that you really struggle with. So in their case, one of the people had a lot of, you know, the C personality type, which just stands for competence. And it's, it's a lot like what you were saying, Josh, it's like, I, everything's got to be right. I don't want to be wrong. I don't want to make the wrong decision. I don't want to be a failure. Whereas the other spouse was just like, screw it. Let's do it. Yeah, (laughs) we'll deal with it later it's not a problem until it's a problem (laughs) yeah my whole thing was like let's reach a common ground where we can have a process for every decision making thing where not everything is screw it let's do it but also not everything is let's analyze this to the death and never really make a decision or or the time has passed to make that decision because the time went yeah it's not valid anymore yep it's got a it's got a date stamp on it yeah. So yeah. just stuff like that. And look, a lot of what I do, because I I have a mastermind called Get Off the Truck that we do. And it's for owner operators that have just like really wanted to, like they're, they're aging out of doing the actual work. Yeah. This is generally cleaning and restoration industry. And, uh, and I have a few plumbers. And but they they are now stuck in this thing where it's like I've been a solo operator so long. 
I can't get past that somebody isn't going to do it like me. Right. Like they can't, they can't move past like, how is it possible that I could hire somebody and have them do what I do? So it, it, for me, a lot of that's changing their mindset to look, you know, they, they may never be you. It's okay. You know, there's plenty of companies out there like, uh, you know, big companies with a hundred plumbers, they seem to be doing okay. They seem to figure it out. So what makes you so special? Yeah. (laughs) You know, (laughs) it's like you can, we can together get you an assistant or get you another plumber and train that person on your system and, and get them to to do basically what you do. Yeah. We had that stumbling block. I don't know if you did when you were landscaping back in the day, but Larry, Larry and I were like, Nobody can clean carpet like we can. Oh, dude, you're preaching <laughs> to the choir here. No you one know. can design like I do. There's no way people talk like I do to clients. How would I ever be able to find yeah. another me? And you know what that was, Eric? It was all ego. Our oh, ego yeah, was totally. always holding on to us like crazy. Like if anybody, if you, if you even hire anybody to do that, what's going to happen is they're going to, you're going to see how bad they are. You're going to have to put them down because if, if you actually acknowledge that they were doing better or knew more than you, ego would slowly die. And that does, the ego does not want to die. So the point is that, you know, I learned that the hard way. And when I started hiring people to replace me and fire my ass out of my own companies, uh, the way that that worked out, eventually I'm like, Oh my goodness, they are so much better than me at this. And I had to, I had to set the ego to the side and just focus on the fact to your point earlier, when it stops being about you, when it starts being about service, it starts being about that servant heart. And you're here to empower people and getting all excited that's really when things start to grow. So Eric, so how can people find you? I love what we're talking about here. I could talk to you for hours about this and helping people and empowering people. How can people find you? Yeah, the best way to find me and Larry is uh, our website, supertechu.com. So that's S-U-P-E-R-T-E-C-H, the letter U.com. And then they find me on social media, just under my name, Eric Sprague, S-P-R-A-G-U-E. So I'm on LinkedIn. I tend to be on LinkedIn and Facebook. Those are the two places where you can, you can find me like active. Got um, that's where most of our clients reside. So those two places. And then, and, and then the blue collar nation podcast, which you can get on, oh, on any place that you podcast on and we have awesome guests was, like you. It was fun a couple of weeks ago being on with you. Yeah. 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 <laughs> it was fun being on there chatting with you guys. Yeah. Your episode we're actually comes dude, out so. in a, a couple of weeks. So we're excited about that. And oh, perfect. Uh, yeah, it's good. That's amazing. So they can go to the site and, so, and get sample videos. And, and I don't know when this will come out, but kind of mid January is when all the new offerings will be available. Like we were talking about earlier. Perfect. Well, I love it, dude. And I love that, uh, your journey of, of, you know, it's very similar to mine, but coming from the ego side to becoming much more focused on servitude. And when you start focus on how can we help others win too, and not just how can I win for me, you go from survival to a different level of consciousness. And then as you mentioned with teams, all of a sudden the teams start rallying around and, and you start building a tribe around you because it's not just about you. Nobody wants to work around that caustic egotist. What they want to do is work with a leader that truly has their best interests in mind. And when you're working with a, you know, a group like Eric's here and they're sending you a daily meeting information, you're helping your your, your team become better humans, not just more efficient machines making you money. You make them better humans by giving them access to content. And when you do that, the next thing you know, they're going to come in a lot stronger, a lot more focused, and they're going to be here to serve, not just serve you, but serve the client. You aren't anybody in this mix. You're simply the leader to help guide them. And when you help them with the right tools, the next thing you know, they go out and do a better job. They come home and they're more proud when they come home for their family and their life is better. And it's all because you just step the hell out of the way and let them lead. You lead them, but they're leading into the client. Hopefully that makes sense. But uh, guys, I appreciate it, Eric. Thank you for coming back well, on. You. And uh, we'll see you next right. week. Thank you. Thank you.